as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Thus ends the reading of the Lord. Father, as we've now read your word together, we want to invite you to speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to understand what this text means. And we want to walk away from this time together in your word, having drawn near to you. Lord, we want to have our hearts opened up. We want to have our love for you expanded. So Lord, we pray you'd give us great understanding. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take these words and that you would speak them into our lives today. That you would continue to change us and reorient us and help us to have the right heart and the right mind and the right perspective here this morning. We love you and we thank you for your love for us. God, we also this morning as a church family want to pray for Haley and Eric's cousin, Ty, who passed away last night. Lord, our hearts are broken for him and pray for his family, especially for his mother, that you would bring comfort and peace. And as Haley and Eric seek to be a source of comfort, even in the midst of their own sorrow, we pray that you would comfort them and then you would empower them to bring that same comfort to their family. But Lord, as again we attend to your word now, we do pray that you'd speak to us and minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Missed you all last week as my wife and I were down south doing a wedding for actually the first wedding of a couple here at Apostles Church, Josh and Sakata. It was a beautiful wedding. And uh, yeah, we can clap for that. That's exciting. 
The single people are like, I ain't clapping for that. Not cool. Not cool. Um, so that was fun. That was a, a great joy, but it's wonderful to be back with all of you. We also found out some really exciting news last week. Um, as most of you know, my wife is pregnant, and we found out that we are having, you guys ready for this? We are having another boy. <laughs> we are having a third boy. So yes, clap for us, but more than that, pray for us, because Judah and Jace are already a handful, and only God knows what this new baby is going to bring to us. So, um, so yeah, please keep us in prayer, and uh, we're so excited to welcome a third son into our family. Um, I told my wife, if you and I were medieval royalty, you would be the envy of Europe. I mean, she just can't stop having boys. So, Well, speaking of my boys, a while back, I asked my two sons, uh, Judah and Jace, I said, where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? And they paused and they thought about it. They gave me two answers, actually. And both of them are right. The first answer that they gave me was, he's in our hearts. That's where everybody says, oh, isn't that cute? He's in our hearts. He's in our hearts. And there's a truth to that, right? I mean, we even speak that way in our evangelism. Sometimes you'll be sharing with somebody, you're talking to somebody, and you might say something along the lines of, have you ever invited Jesus to live inside of your heart? Or have you ever asked Christ to come into your heart? And we speak that way, and it's okay to speak that way, because the scriptures themselves actually speak that way. For example, in Colossians 1.27, the Apostle Paul writes, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, and then here's the key, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or if that's not clear enough, in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says here, You, however, he's talking to the church, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have, watch the shift here, who does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to Him. Then he says it so directly, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, There's truth to that response. Jesus is certainly in our hearts. He lives in our hearts via the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit lives inside of our hearts if we're Christians, and He is the one who mediates the presence of the risen and exalted Jesus to us. So technically, and this gets to the second answer that my boys had to the question, which is, well, Jesus is in heaven right now. Technically, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us in our hearts, and Jesus is in heaven right now, just as we read at the end of Luke 24. Verse 51 said, When he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And that's where Jesus is right now, in heaven. Now, this is the final episode in the life of Christ. This is the conclusion to the Gospel of Luke. In fact, my Bible ends a whole page at verse 53 there. And when you turn the page, you're not in Luke anymore. And so this is the end of the story of Jesus' earthly ministry and life here in Luke. You'll remember that the story began with Jesus descending from heaven, more or less, as he was conceived in the Virgin Mary. And so he came down from heaven when the gospel started, walked among us, 
lived among us. And now the ending, the conclusion of this gospel is that he actually goes back up to heaven. He ascends back to the Father. And church, we need to understand that his ascension is loaded with significance. It's funny because we talk a lot about the death of Christ, and we should. We talk a decent amount about the resurrection of Christ, and we should. We talk an awful lot about the life of Christ, and we should. But we hardly talk about or think about this final episode, this ascension to Christ. But it's loaded with significance for you and for me. And so I want to unpack that together with you in our time this morning as we conclude Luke's telling of the story of Jesus. There are going to be five things that are true now because of Christ's ascension in this sermon. And so we'll begin with the first. Because of the ascension of Christ, Jesus rules and reigns over all things. Because of the ascension of Christ, Jesus, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, rules and reigns over all things. In Mark's telling of the ascension, he says this, Mark 16, 19, So then the Lord Jesus after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Over in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, as he's being stoned to death for his preaching about Jesus, looks up into heaven. This is Acts 7, 55 and 56. And he saw Jesus, we're told, standing at the right hand of God. What does it mean to be at God's right hand? Well, to be at God's right hand signifies a position of authority and a position of power. In fact, in the Old Testament, God's right hand is spoken of as, again, a seat of authority and power. We find this in Exodus 15.6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. It's a position of strength and authority and power. The modern equivalent could maybe be when you have a a powerful person and you talk about their right-hand man or their right-hand woman. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean the person who is closest to them, the person who oftentimes operates in their authority and in their power. So in other words, if you mess with their right-hand man or their right-hand woman, you're actually messing with the leader themselves. And they can usually say things and do things and act on behalf of the leader. They're in that position to the right hand. So as Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Jesus is in this position of power now, this position of authority Jesus is ruling and reigning. This ascension and Jesus being seated at the right hand is Jesus coming into His kingdom. See, the gospel is about the kingdom of God. This whole life and ministry of Jesus is about the kingdom of God. And now in this final chapter, as Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, the King is being enthroned. Seated on His throne. Ruling and reigning over God's kingdom and over God's people. Ephesians 1, 19-21 tells us about this. Paul writes, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, God raised Jesus from the dead and then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and now He is ruling and reigning over all things. Why does this matter? Well, for a lot of people today, they don't understand what all the hype is about Jesus. They're totally confused by the fact that we come to church together and we sing songs about Jesus and we worship Jesus and we talk about Him all the time and we orient our lives around Him. They can't understand understand why does Jesus matter today? He's a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. And sure, maybe He taught us some good things. The golden rule, we all like that one. But they would say, so did many other people throughout history. What's all the fuss? Church, the ascension answers that question for us. Because the ascension means that Jesus is not just some important uh, important figure from our past. Some historical personality. The ascension means that Jesus is an important figure right now and forevermore. Because Jesus is alive and Jesus is seated on the throne and Jesus is ruling and reigning over all of history and over all of this universe right at this moment. That's why Jesus matters. That's why Jesus is significant. That's why the wisest thing you could do, the best thing you could do is orient your life around the king of the kingdom. Well, being taken up to heaven, Jesus told his disciples in verse 49 to wait until he sends something to them. Let's look at verse 49 again. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Sort of like what the military does for you. Hurry up and wait. (laughs) Jesus had given the church a mission Right? Go preach the gospel. Go make disciples of all the nations. The church was like, okay, we're fired up. Jesus, let's do it. And he says, okay, wait. Hang out in Jerusalem. Wait, pray until I send to you the promise from my Father. This brings us to the second significant thing related to Christ's ascension. Because of the ascension of Christ, listen, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the church. Jesus ascended, and once he was seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to the church. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what is this promise of the Father that Jesus will send? It's the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, being therefore, this is the church preaching, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, Peter saying, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit and that's what you are all witnessing here in Jerusalem. So when Jesus ascended to heaven again, that's when Jesus now sent the Holy Spirit to the church to empower the church 
for ministry and for mission and to live out the Christian life. See, the resurrection of Jesus, which was talked about last week, is what initiated the church's mission. What I mean by that is it was the resurrected Lord who then looked at his followers and said, go therefore and make disciples of all of the nations. So Jesus there initiates the mission for the church. But it's the ascension of Christ, what we're talking about today, that actually empowers the church to fulfill that mission. Because again, once Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to us who empowers us to then live out the mission. As long as Jesus was on the earth physically, the Holy Spirit would not have come. And the Holy Spirit would not have empowered us in the way that he now is to fulfill the mission. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus tells his followers about this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now just pause right there. (laughs) Most of us, we might read that verse, but we really struggle to believe that. Jesus looks at his followers and he says, you are better off if I leave you. Most of us are like, actually, I kind of would prefer if Jesus was with me 24-7. I think my faith would be stronger. I think I'd be better off in my witness for Jesus. Jesus seems to think that the church, I'm going to use the church plural and universal here, but Jesus seems to think that the church is actually better off, bless you, is actually better off in his absence Because it's actually not his absence. Because when he goes to heaven, he sends the Spirit to live inside of every believer and empower every believer for ministry. But he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Here's the reason. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Church, we need to realize this morning that without the Holy Spirit, if Jesus never sent the Spirit to us, our preaching, our evangelism would be powerless. Our praying would be misguided. Our loving would be shallow. And our service would be lethargic. However, Jesus has not left us as orphans. Jesus has not left us in weakness. No, Jesus has sent us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to actually live inside of us and empower us to live the Christian life effectively and to live out the mission of God. Once Christ ascended, He sent the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The church has been a powerful witness ever since. In Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, we read the story of the day that the church received the Holy Spirit. And verse 41 of Acts 2 tells us the result. Check this out. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Spirit came down, And the church took off. And that's what's been happening for the last 2,000 years. But not only is the Holy Spirit the one who empowers us to fulfill the mission of God, 
He does so much more. This is from the Baptist Faith and Message, our statement of faith. As it talks about the Holy Spirit, I want to read it to you. Through illumination, He enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and effects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character. He comforts believers and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through His church. He seals the believer until the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. Praise God that He has given to us His Holy Spirit. Well, looking back down at our text, at verse 50, you'll notice that just prior to His ascension, Jesus lifts up His hands and He blesses the disciples. Do you see that in the text there in verse 50? Lifting up His hands, He blessed them. What we see here reminds us of what the priest in the Old Testament used to do for God's people. They would often raise their hands over God's people and they would pronounce a blessing over the people of God. For example, in Leviticus 9.22, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. This is significant that Jesus would, like a priest, raise his hands and bless his church because it reminds us that although Jesus' earthly ministry is over, right? He's now in heaven. It doesn't mean that his ministry for us has concluded. Jesus functions right now as our high priest who makes intercession for us. Therefore, point number three, because of the ascension of Christ, Jesus is interceding on behalf of the saints. Right now, if you're a Christian, Jesus is in heaven making intercession for you. We sing in our third song today the hymn before the, God, before the throne of God above. Listen to the lyrics again now in light of this. This is verse 1. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. Hebrews 7.25 speaks about this. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And then in Romans 8.34, the question is asked, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Beautiful. From time to time, some of you will shoot me a text or maybe an email. You'll either tell me that you're praying for me, which I really appreciate, or sometimes you'll text me or email me and you'll say, is there something I can be praying for you and your family about? And I love that because... As you know, it's so comforting and encouraging to know that other believers are thinking of you and that they're praying for you, that they're they're actually bringing your needs before your Father in heaven. James 5.16 reminds us that 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So that's encouraging. But church, how much more encouraging is it to know that Jesus is in effect praying for us? That Jesus, the only perfectly righteous one, is interceding for us continually. How many times would we have been overcome by temptation or trial if not for the fervent and effectual prayers of our great high priest, Jesus? Like Peter, when you and I get to heaven, it'll be said of each of us many times over again that in our lives we were sustained in our faith because Jesus prayed for us that our faith might not fail. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. So church, this morning I would ask you, how lovely is the one who not only lived for our righteousness, who not only died for our sinfulness and rose for our justification, but who also continues to work on our behalf as our advocate with the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. It's amazing. Jesus is our ever-present, never-tiring Savior who has delivered us, who is delivering us, and will deliver us from every trial or tribulation that is set against us. In light of that, hear again Romans 8. 20, or Romans 8. Listen to these verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fourth, and these last two are not directly rooted in our text, but they're results of the ascension. Fourth this morning, because of the ascension of Christ, Jesus is preparing a place for us. Right now, did you know that? If you're in Christ... Jesus, who is interceding for you, is also preparing a place for you. John 14, 1 and 2. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? A number of times when I've flown, I've gotten to my destination But rather than the pilot actually bringing the plane down to land, the airport, the tower, asked my pilot to start doing holding patterns around the airport. Maybe it was weather-related or they just had too many planes trying to land at that time. 
And so after a long flight across country, this happens a lot in Chicago, the Windy City, but you fly, you're so eager to get out of your seat, and instead of coming in for a landing, you're just doing holding patterns for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. That's frustrating no matter what. It's even worse if you really have to go to the bathroom because seatbelts are on at that moment and you're stuck. And all of a sudden you finally get to land and what a relief it is. Also a number of times when traveling, my wife and I have gone to check into a hotel. And we go to check in and they've told us as we're standing there with our luggage, we're exhausted from traveling. You know what? We're sorry the room's not ready yet. We can text you when it's ready. Hopefully it'll be ready in an hour or two. And there you are standing in the lobby with all your luggage, just wanting to unload, relax, and settle in. You know, there's nothing nicer when you get done with a long day of travel than to show up to a hotel where your room is ready for you, it's prepared, and it's waiting. About a year or two ago, my wife and I were treated by a couple of friends in our old church uh, to a Switchfoot concert, but it wasn't any regular Switchfoot concert. It was a private exclusive concert on a yacht out of Newport Harbor that went cruising, or San Diego Harbor rather, that went cruising all down by Coronado. And as we're cruising around on this yacht, Switchfoot is playing this private concert for like 200 people. And there was this beautiful dinner provided at this. And you're, you're there. It was just amazing. And you're out on the water at night under the stars and John Foreman singing all these awesome Switchfoot songs. The coolest thing probably about the whole thing was well, that was really cool. But maybe just as cool was the fact that me and my wife didn't have to think about a thing. Our friends invited us. They got our VIP tickets for us. They had the parking all dialed in. We got out of the car together, walked in, and we felt like royalty. And we got walked right in, got to be sat down, had this awesome meal that was paid for and provided the whole concert, the whole thing. We didn't have to figure out a single aspect of the evening. We just existed and got blessed. And it was awesome. And friends, I want you to know that when we as believers die or when Christ returns, whichever one of those two events comes first, and you and I are ushered into eternity, we won't be doing heavenly holding patterns. We won't be standing there with a bunch of luggage waiting to check in, hoping that we have a room at the hotel. No, 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 it's not going to be like that at all. Our place in Christ's kingdom is prepared and it's ready for our arrival. If you belong to Jesus this morning, then he, like the great and holy king that he is, is going to be dressed in his royal robes, and he is going to be ready to host us in the glory of his kingdom. Your place will be ready. There will be no credit cards to swipe, no paperwork to fill out, no passports to show. He will look at you and he'll say, enter in to the glory of your father. Finally, because of the ascension of Christ, Jesus is preparing to return again. Or to say this another way, what goes up must come down. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and He, at this moment, is preparing to return again. Back in John 14, again, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Over in Acts chapter 1, 
where we're told about the ascension again. Here's what we read, starting in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's kind of a humorous scene, actually. The disciples are having this final interaction with Jesus, and he's talking with them, and of course he blesses them, and then he ascends, and they're just standing there watching. It's like if you've ever, if you've ever been at a party with kids, and of course you have helium in the balloons, right? If you had this experience, and you tie them on the kids' hands, because you're like, we don't want to pollute the ozone and wreck our environment. We can't lose these precious balloons, and so you tie them on the kids' hands. But sure enough, what happens? The string comes undone, or somebody lets a balloon go, and just goes up into the heavens. And I don't know why, but if it's a bright balloon, I want to see how long I can watch it. And I just stand there, and I'm like, I can still see it. Five minutes has gone by. It's higher than the cloud. I can still see it. And you just sit there and watch it until it completely disappears. But what's better than that is the implication from the text is that even after Jesus was long out of sight, all of the disciples are just standing there like this. It's almost like they had forgotten what they're supposed to do next. And so two angels are dispatched to straighten these guys out. And they're like, hey, men of Galilee, come on, focus. Come here, come here, focus. You can't stand, in this case, not navel gazing, but heaven gazing, stargazing. You can't stand doing that. Jesus has gone to heaven. Yeah, but guess what? He's going to return in the same way. And all of a sudden that triggers in their memories all the important things Jesus had taught them. That they had a mission now. And that mission was that they needed to go and live out the Great Commission. They needed to go make disciples of all the nations. They needed to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit came to empower them to do that. So because of the ascension, Jesus is preparing to return again. The reason is very simple. If Jesus never left, Jesus could never come back. Wow, profound, huh? (laughs) Profound. Christ has given the church a mission, but right now he is giving the world time. Right? People ask sometimes, well, if Jesus is really going to come back, where is he? Why isn't he here? How how come 2,000 years has gone by? Well, that was happening in the earliest days of the church when 30 years had passed. People were already getting anxious. Didn't Jesus say he's coming back? Where is he? So Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other words, that text teaches us that with God, a single day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a single day. And it teaches us that God's not late, Instead, God is patient. God is long-suffering. Because right now, there are people all over the world. And to bring this home, there are people all over Santa Barbara who are far from God right now and who are destined for an eternity separated from Him. And God takes no pleasure in that. And so Jesus right now is holding back His return. But there's going to be a day when the hammer drops, there's going to be a day when all the waiting 
is done. And at that moment, Christ will return to judge the world, to usher in His kingdom in its fullness. And all sin is going to be removed. And righteousness is going to rule and reign. And that for us will be a glorious day. Because you and I will be in the presence of God forevermore where Psalm 1611 says, there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's going to be a great day for us. But for those who don't know Jesus, that's going to be the worst day. Because time is going to run out. So what do we do? What about now? What is our application this morning from a text like this, a teaching like this? Simply put, our job is this. Our job is to worship and to witness with all of our hearts so that when the Master does come, He will find us so doing. So that when the Master of the house returns, we will not just be idle servants, but we will be working with all of our hearts at the job that He has given to us. And this is the response that we see of the disciples. Notice that they worship. This is the first response of the disciples, to the ascension of Christ. Look at verse 52. It says, and they worshiped Him. And again, church, right now, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is seated on His throne. He is ruling and reigning over all things. So we worship Him for who He is. But we also witness, we see this in verse 48. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. That's our job to witness because this is the way that the kingdom of God is expanded right now. Like we talked about 2 weeks ago, the kingdom of God does not expand with a sword. The kingdom of God expands with love and a loving witness to the world around us. So Jesus is in heaven, but he's given us all authority, and so our goal right now is to see his rule that is perfect in heaven coming to bear on earth as much as possible before he returns. What do we witness? What is our message? Well, look at verse 46. Jesus said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So our message is a message centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we preach. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty so there's nothing more for you to pay. And then He was buried And three days later, He rose again and He conquered over sin and death and He's alive forevermore to offer forgiveness and a relationship with God to all who would do what? Verse 47, repent and believe in Him and experience forgiveness of their sins. That's our message. That if people would believe these things about Jesus and then turn their hearts to Him and commit themselves to Him, that they would experience forgiveness of sins and they would be reconciled to their Father in heaven. So we worship, we witness, and we work at it with all of our hearts. This morning, the angels are saying to you the same thing that they said to the disciples 2,000 years ago. Don't just stand around staring at heaven. Get busy. Get to work. Start worshiping and witnessing like Jesus has commanded you to do because again, there are people all around us right now that need to hear this message. There are people all around us that need to be brought in to the kingdom of God before it's too late. And so we need to work at it with all of our hearts. Jesus reminded us in Luke 9.62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom 
of God. Let that never be said of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, it's an amazing reality that right now you are rightly enthroned in heaven. And because of that, you are ruling and reigning over all things. And Jesus, because we've put our faith in you and we've turned from our sins and we've declared you Lord of our life, you are ruling and reigning over our lives. And we pray that you would empower us to continue to give you more and more control, to continue to give you all authority over our lives. And Jesus, we're so thankful that you have poured out your Holy Spirit on us. And that your Holy Spirit is living inside of us, helping us to be like you, helping us to live like you, helping us to fulfill the mission that you've given to the church. And so this morning, as we've thought about who you are, Jesus, as we've reflected on what you've done for us, I pray that our hearts would be once again stirred and filled with wonder. And we pray, God, that you would continue making us a brighter light to the world around us that you would purify us, and that you would continue to refocus our minds and our hearts on the kingdom, on the things that really matter for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.